This is the beginning of our spring quarter, and we will be covering the book of Revelation. The title of our lesson today is John is Commissioned to Write the Revelation, and the scripture we'll cover will be chapter 1. So just a little bit about the author. The author is pretty well known as John, the Apostle. The date, conservative scholars put it at AD 95. Liberal scholars put it all over the place. So, um, And there are multiple ways to interpret Revelation. There's a lot of controversy about that. Uh, if you apply the method of interpretation of the Reformers. The Reformers went back to a literal, grammatical, historical, contextual method of interpretation for parts of the Bible. They did not apply that to prophecy. But if you apply that uniformly to the whole Bible, the revelation becomes understandable. Okay, most people in with allegorical interpretation, they come up with all sorts of interpretations, which has caused a lot of confusion. Yes, in the church. And so that is the method we will be using, is the same method we use for everything else. And it gives you a reliable interpretation of the book. There are a lot of symbols in the book, but the symbols are... Uh, they're in 26 instances. This is from John Walverd, who was the head of Dallas Seminary for a long time. 26 of the symbols are immediately interpreted in the immediate context. The other symbols, you go to the Old Testament to interpret. This revelation draws in all sorts of lines of prophecy from the Old Testament and gives us the most detail we have of the seven years prior to Christ's second advent, his second advent, and then it gives us, you know, some something about the millennial kingdom. Not a lot of the details. Most of the details are found in the Old Testament of the millennial kingdom, but and then the eternal state. So, right, so I made up a outline because I don't have the quarterly. So our first section, section A, is the chain of transmission. And that is verses 1 through 3. Somebody want to read verses 1 through 3 for me? Okay, thank you. So verse 1 I'll read it for the online people. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. It means unveiling. It does not mean veiling. So it's not to be confusing. It's to be revealing. And then it tells us a chain of transmission, which sounds a lot like uh, one of those party games where you whisper a message in somebody's ear, and then you whisper, the next one whispers it in their ear and around, and then you come and you see what it's like at the end. If you do that party, it's pretty mixed up at the end. 
So, but there is a chain of transmission here. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, the Father, gave him, that's Jesus, that's the first handoff, to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. That's an interesting word there, so we'll talk about that in a sec. But then he, Jesus, sent and communicated it by his angel, so that's another handoff, to his bondservant John. There's another handoff. And he, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now the word soon, you know, this was written AD 95. It's now 2023. That's a long time ago. That the Greek soon is N to K, which is the the word for which we get a tachometer. It means quick, fast. When it happens, it'll happen fast. Yeah, and we you know, we know the kind of the outline for the tribulation period. Most of the revelation goes over the tribulation period is outlined in Daniel 9, verse 27. And that is the starts with the uh, peace treaty between the world ruler, the Antichrist, and unbelieving Israel. That is the initiating point of the tribulation period, and that is not found in Revelation. That's found in Daniel 9.27, and then 9.27 outlines a seven-year period that is punctuated in the middle by the desecration of the temple. And after that is the Great Tribulation. We probably should look at Daniel first, but we didn't. <laughs> so, so anyway, but we'll get to it next quarter. But this, you know, if this was a party game, you couldn't expect it to be reliable with all these handoffs. But we have the doctrine of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. These are the, our verses we're memorizing this month. It says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And part of that inspiration is that it is communicated without error. So that when God or John was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he was able to communicate this transmitted message without error in its original um, autographs when he wrote it down. No, this is not part of the scroll. This is not part of the scroll. Yeah, this is what John saw. He got a vision. And uh, he wrote down the vision, and part of the vision was the scroll. The scroll was part of that vision. So, and then Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Anybody remember that? That was last month's memory verse. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. I'll give it. I'll give it a go. Let's see if I can do it. I'm not sure if I can do that. So, all scripture is profitable. And useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for instruction 
in righteousness. Thank you. That the man of God may be adequate, uh, prepared for every good work. Yeah, but it's, it, is, it is all scripture. It's not some scripture. All scripture is God breathed. I like that word. Yeah. So then verse 2, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So John testified that this is God's word. Okay. John has done this before. It says, John testified to all that he saw in John's gospel. In John 21 and verse 24, he says this at the end of his gospel. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. He said that in First John too. So he, he tends to, you know, testify that he's writing this down. This is true. Which would be, yeah, you know, if you're moved by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is overseeing it to be without error, then that's a pretty solid statement. I don't know what the Lord is thinking. But I know know that, you know, I wasn't going to mention this, but some people think that this was Gabriel. It is not in the scripture, but Gabriel spoke to Daniel. Gabriel brought the, brought the message to Mary. And Gabriel brought the message to Zacharias about prophetic things. And so it's not, yeah, yeah, it's not. We're not told that, but some people think, well, maybe this is Gabriel, because that seems to be his job is to transmit God's prophecy to people. So then verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Okay, near is not the same word as soon. Near is engus, which means near. It's like close, you know. And I think that that goes to the doctrine of imminence, which is the rapture. The rapture is not mentioned in the book of Revelation, but the rapture will end the church age, and then the uh, revelation will begin. So, um, so, but there's a blessing. This is one of seven blessings bestowed on people in the book of Revelation. And this one is on us because we read it, we hear it, and hopefully we'll heed the things that are written in it. So there's a blessing to... Prophecy is blessing. Prophecy, it sounds, this sounds scary when we look in this. This is horrific stuff that we're going to look at. Uh, but it, it, sharpens the mind, you know, and it gives us hope that evil will not always persist, that there will be a time when evil will be done away with, you know, and that we have a, a part in that and we will be on the winning side. So that is the hope that prophecy gives us. So the commands, he says, to, you know, to heed the things which are written in it, that is mainly found in chapters 2 and 3 which are letters to the churches. So anything else about this 
little section. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it helps you with your growth. It helps you with your rewarding, you know. It's a motivator. Okay, so we'll go to the second section, the recipients of the message. That's verses 4 through 8. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's that's rousing stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, can I have somebody look up things? If you love to this. I like the way you looked at Vicky. I looked at Vicky, and she looked at me. Can you, Janet? You're a quick looker-upper. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Vicky, could I get you to look up Romans 5, verse 1? Mm-hmm. Isaiah 11, verse 2. Did you give me 11, verse 2. And then, Woody, can you do 1 Corinthians 15, 20? Okay. Okay, so it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So, about grace, Jan is going to read to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Okay, yeah. So, he says grace to you. That is what, his grace is his unmerited favor. We are all sinners, we are all condemned before God. We can't fix it. There's nothing we can do to undo our sin. We don't have the righteousness that is required to be acceptable to God. So he gave us grace. He just gave us what was needed. And he gave it that to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus died and paid for the sin of every human ever born. And and to be born, and that ever will be born. And all that is needed for a person to apply that to their own life personally is to trust in him. That's why it is from grace, because we can't do it. He did it. All we have to do is say thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. That's all we just have to believe it. Okay, and grace, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Yes. Yes. Faith can be a challenge when push comes to shove. Yeah, and that's why the Lord leads us through difficult times almost constantly because that causes our faith to grow if we trust him through those times. You know, we can we can botch it. Abraham and Sarah botched it. Because they thought God was taking too long to bring Isaac forth. <laughs> he was taking too long, and so they botched it. They said, well, get this girl pregnant over here, <laughs> and that'll be the one, you know. And that was Ishmael. And there's still problems now, today, because of that. So the Lord does not need help, but we frequently think he does. We're we're warriors, and you know I'm guilty of it. I know that. Maybe he means this. Well, that's what they did too. That's what they did too. 
That's what Sarah did. She says, you know, this is not happening. You know, maybe the Lord is going to do it through this. If yeah, we, exactly. a, you know, a common worldly thing. So anyway, that was about grace. And it was a very good discussion. So grace to you and peace. Grace leads to peace. Okay, so can you read Romans 5 verse 1? Yeah. So before you're saved, you are an enemy of God. That's not from his side. That's from your side. You're, the nature that you're born with is naturally antagonistic to God. You don't, you don't want anything to do with him. And uh, so when you believe, that changes. Your old nature is the same. Your old nature still does not like God, hates God, but God gives you a new nature alongside that does. And that's why in the Christian there is always a war. In the Christian, before he dies, saved, but before he dies, there is a war. And part of discipleship is feeding the new nature and starving the old. Okay? So that you're responsive to God. Yeah, I mean, that is what the Lord has done for us. And when we accept Jesus' sacrifice, we have peace with God. That is our greatest enemy, as we're an unbeliever. Because God, being holy, cannot tolerate sin. Yeah, he cannot tolerate it. Yeah, and so, yeah. So you get positional peace immediately. You get positional peace immediately when you believe in Jesus. You have peace with God. It's, it's factually true. And as you grow, you get experiential peace. Okay, so we are on uh, Revelation chapter 1. We're on verse 4 at the moment. So anyway, John is saying, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. What is that speaking of? Him who is and who was and who is to come. Yeah, that's eternality. And he's talking here of the Father. And from the seven spirits of God who are before his throne. What is that speaking of? Can you read yours there? Uh, Monica, Isaiah 11, verse 2. So yeah, that is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has seven facets, which Monica read right there. The seven spirits who are before his throne. So that represents the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, verse 5, the faithful witness. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. It's John 14, 6, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. He is the faithful witness. And the ruler and the firstborn of the dead. So who did I give? Uh, Woody, do you have 1 Corinthians? I do. 1520? Right. So Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first who has an eternally an eternal resurrected body. There were resurrections before that into natural bodies again. Jesus is the first who's resurrected into the body that we are going to get. An eternal... 
And then it says, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, there's a, is Jesus ruling the earth now? There, there are several, there are tons of churches who teach that Jesus is ruling now, spiritually, from heaven. And that is an alleg allegorization of the text. What he's doing is reigning as high priest from God's right hand, and he's doing all sorts of things as high priest, but he is not yet king. This is yet future. And this is uh, Psalm 132 and verse 11. And this is what we pray for when we say that we pray that your kingdom would come. That's the disciples' prayer, your kingdom come. You know, hallowed, hallowed is the Lord, thy kingdom come. So Psalm 132, verse 11 says, The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. That is what will happen. And we'll see that happening toward the end of Revelation, where Jesus will actually be seated on David's throne, not in heaven, but in Jerusalem. David's throne is earthly, it is not heavenly. And then it says, verse 5, the end of verse 5, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So his blood was necessary to release us. And I have written down here 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, and I don't remember why I did that. So let me look and see why I did that. Ah, yeah. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. See, only Jesus' blood could save us. If I died for you, that would do no good because my blood is not his blood. He is unique. He is man, but he is also God. And the fact that he is God means that his blood is enough for every single person because he's God. So he is unique. There's nobody like him. And so no one else's blood will do. No one else's sacrifice will do. Only his sacrifice will do. And he did that, it says right there, because he loves us. Verse 6, and he, may, he has made us to be, and who is this book to? It's written to churches, isn't it? It's written to churches. So that's to us. We are the church. So he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so are we in the kingdom now? We just talked about that. No. If the king is not ruling, we're not in the kingdom. Right. So, so... How, in what way are we, he has made us to be, that is future tense, a kingdom. He is, and the church is recruiting the members of the kingdom. And the members of the kingdom he's recruiting now will have authority. 
in the kingdom, depending on how you trust Christ today while you're living, you know. That's what discipleship is all about. If you follow, if you walk in the Spirit, you will have greater authority in this coming kingdom than if you don't, do not walk in the You'll be in the kingdom, but you will not have the authority that you could have. And that's what he's doing. He's recruiting, and that's why we evangelize. We evangelize mainly because we don't want people to go to hell, because that is horrific, and we don't want anybody, including our enemies, to go to hell. But, you know, we want to recruit people for the kingdom that will be in authority. Right? So Revelation 3, verse 21 says, He who overcomes... That's 1 John 5, 4, defines the overcomer. That is the one who believes in Jesus. He who overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus there is talking about two different thrones. His throne is David's throne in Jerusalem. And the father's throne is the eternal throne in heaven. And that is where he is right now. So we will be sitting with him on his throne. It, it will be like cabinet secretaries in the president's cabinet or something like that. You know, we'll be in his administration. And then verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So, will everyone see Jesus in the rapture? Yeah, the rapture is, um, so that's the, uh, yeah, but this is, you know, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. You know, the, the way the rapture is described, Jesus comes to the clouds and catches a, the living believers up to him. He doesn't come to the ground at the rapture. He comes up. The, the dead in Christ will come down with him. Their spirits will be placed into the resurrection bodies on the way down. The translated living believers will go up and be placed into resurrected bodies on the way up. They'll meet him in the air, go to heaven, and be with him there through the tribulation. And the... Uh, but this, every eye will see him. Yeah, yeah. And that is the second advent. That is the second. Yeah, that is not the rapture, second advent. Mm -hmm. So verse Matthew 24, verse 27 and 28, the Olivet Discourse is not about the rapture. It is about the second advent. It's basically the tribulation and the second advent says, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he goes on to say, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Yeah, so that's judgment, right? When he can, And that's consistent with what it says here. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That's Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10, those who pierced him, this is the house of Israel. You know, 
course, Israel wasn't the only people who pierced him. The Romans pierced him. And all of us pierced him. <laughs> because he did it he did it for our sins. So uh he didn't have to do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. Although he didn't want to do it, you know. He was he was conflicted too. But he did it because he loved us. So Zechariah twelve ten, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him, as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. They'll realize, man, we blew it 2,000 years ago. So even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will say, Yay, he's coming. Right? No, it doesn't say that. They will mourn. Why do you think they'll mourn? The jig is up. <laughs> the the jig is up. That's right. You're, it says, uh oh, this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when he comes, it will be in judgment. And the judgment will be, well, we'll see. It is. So, so this is much different than the rapture. What is the rapture going to be? Is it rapture good or bad? Well, who's going to go in the rapture? Believers. Yeah, but those left. Yeah, but the rapture is a good thing. For us. For us. For for anyone who is in Christ, because the rapture is for those who are in Christ. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For by this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. That's why it's imminent right there. Paul says we. He thought the rapture was coming in his lifetime. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then he goes on to say, comfort one another with these words. Because this is good news. Yeah, and a lot of people will, will think, uh-oh, wow. And, you know, I mean, right after there'll be a whole bunch of Jews, 144,000 Jews who say, oh, this is real. You know, let's get involved here. So anyway, the doctrine of imminence is very important. That That is the doctrine of imminence, the idea that the rapture could happen right now. It could happen today. It could happen any day. It could happen before this church service is over. That gives you motive to serve the Lord because you don't know when you're going to see him and you want him to say well done you know when you do see him okay and then the last in this section I am this Jesus speaking the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God so he claims eternality for himself who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty good stuff huh 
So section C is the uh, glorified Christ. I'll read that section. We're getting, I, I knew that it would be tr tough to get through this. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard something behind me. I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I felt his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven churches which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." Now, we're running out of time, so I just want to make a few points. Number one, it says, verse 10, He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Many people would say that is Sunday. That is not what that is saying. What he is happening is he is in the Spirit. He is transported into the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the time of tribulation. And that's what he is given a vision of <clears throat> and that can if you want to look it up we don't have time is Joel 2:31 is one Isaiah 13:6 and Daniel 9:27 Daniel 9:27 is the outline of the revelation or, or of the tribulation period and then verse 11 is God, John's commission proper Jesus tells him to write what you see and send it to these seven churches. And then we see a symbol. Verse 12. He saw, you know, he turned to see the voice, and then he saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, there's a symbol. In verse 20, the symbol is interpreted. The seven golden lampstands are, are the seven churches. Verse 16, it says, In his right hand he held seven stars. In verse 20, there's another symbol. Verse 20, that symbol is interpreted. The seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the angels of the seven churches. This is unusual, an unusual use of the word angel. The word angel in the Greek is angelos, and it means messenger. And so most, I think, all conservative interpreters so interprets that as the pastors 
the pastors are the messengers to their congregation of the Word of God. They transmit the Word of God to their congregation. And notice that they're all in Jesus' right hand. So if you're a pastor, you are responsible not to man. You're responsible to him. So pray for, it is a position of favor. So pray for Dane. He's responsible to Jesus. Notice his dress. His dress is not that of a king. In verse 13, he's clothed in a robe, girded with a golden sash. This is the dress of a high priest. He's wearing the dress of the priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then John's response was he fell over dead, as though he were dead. And that's the response of man to God. When we get in God's presence, it scares the living daylights out of us, even John. And also Jesus says he has authority over death and the place of the dead. Now my wife is texting me that the class is over. It's <laughs> great. So, Lord, well, wait, let me pray and then you talk. Lord, we thank you for this uh, revelation. It's awesome, and uh, we look forward to it, and uh, we pray that you would help us to understand it correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.